Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is Comfort, Comfort Films. Hey everybody, welcome back to Comfort Films. Tonight is episode six. We're going to be talking about Back to the Future. Now this is one of my all-time top ten movies. I mean, wow. I, yes. Yes. You've seen thousands of movies and you would put this in the top ten? Yes. I mean, everything that we like is right here. We've got the hope. We've got the humor. We've got the romance. We've got the sci-fi. This <laughs> has it all. Yes, and the 80s. Oh, man, yeah, nostalgia. the 80s. My nostalgia is so high when we watch this. <laughs> yeah, I had the same thing. Yeah, great movie. So we're going to be talking about Back to the Future tonight. We're very glad to have you guys here. And if you're wondering why we picked tonight to talk about Back to the Future, it's because of the day. Now, this is November 12th. And on November 12th, 1955, that is the day of the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, where the big action goes down and Marty actually comes back to the future, back to 1985. So, tonight, November 12th, 2021. And I can't do math, but that's a long time after 1955. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, because I really couldn't do math either. And I was like, I'm going to leave a gap, like I'm going to do math. But, yeah. It but it's happen. not happening. No. Um, actually, I believe that would be 66 years ago. Okay, that sounds good to me. My mom was born in 1956. Mm -hmm. And I believe she's 65. Okay. Meaning that this would be one year older than that for 55, so... 66? I think that sounds... It, I'll I calculate mean, it on the computer later. That's a good idea. Since I can't do simple addition and subtraction. I never was very good at that either. <laughs> um, in college, they made me take a remedial math class where we actually began adding sticks. Oh that, my gosh. Yes, that is completely <laughs> true. Um, it was called stick math. Uh, a couple of my friends were in there. <laughs> Stick math. Stick math is what stick we were math. in. We wow. added sticks, if you can believe it. I mean, I thought my story was bad because I had to uh, take the GRE test to get into grad school. Yeah. And it was, you know, in the early days of computer-based testing. Mm -hmm. And what they would do is, uh, while you're taking the test, the math section, if you started answering questions wrong, they would start giving you easier questions. Ooh. And I just got to the point where they were asking me about adding numbers with decimal points in them. Okay. And I thought, well, there goes my chances at grad school. <laughs> but fortunately, somehow, um, I guess my math threshold was okay. And I did great on the, the you know, English part, which I was actually going to grad school for. Good. So either I hit the minimum or they just said... Yeah, she doesn't need math. With me, they definitely said, we don't know what this kid's doing, but it's definitely not math. Stick math. Stick math, yeah. I will never forget stick math. No, I certainly won't either. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, back to the future tonight, and I'm sure most of you folks out there have seen this film, since this is just a classic for everybody, but just in case, uh, we do have a synopsis that Georgia has prepared for us, and Georgia... Here we go. Here's your recap. Back to the Future is a 1985 sci-fi comedy starring Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox, is a small-town teenager whose big dreams are fostered by his unlikely best friend, wacky local mad scientist, Dr. Emmett Brown. 
Christopher Lloyd. When Marty goes over to rock out on the super-powered amp at Doc's, he gets a call from Doc himself, requesting to meet at Twin Pines Mall in the wee hours of the morning. When Marty arrives, Doc reveals that he has invented a plutonium-powered time machine out of a DeLorean, and Marty is there to document his inaugural time-traveling journey on camera. Before he could time travel, but after a demonstration on his dog, Einstein, Doc Brown is gunned down by terrorists that he double-crossed to obtain the plutonium for his experiment. To escape the terrorists, Marty speeds away in the DeLorean, but when the speedometer hits 88 miles per hour, Marty is transported back to the pre-entered time coordinates of November 5, 1955. With no plutonium to refuel the time machine, Marty seeks out Doc Brown in the past for help in getting back to 1985. While searching for Doc, Marty runs into his parents as teenagers and inadvertently becomes the object of his mother's affection, thus setting off a chain of events that may prevent Marty from ever being born. Through a series of successes and frustrating setbacks, Marty manages to restore his parents' relationship. This important task complete, Marty and Doc determine that the only scenario that can successfully get Marty back to the future is for the DeLorean to hit a wire struck by lightning at exactly the right moment. Luckily, the town clock tower was destroyed by lightning in a documented event on November 12, 1955. Marty gets back and discovers that his meddling with time actually made life better than it was before he time-traveled. And one of the ways that that happened that I didn't include in the synopsis that is important is that he managed to warn Doc Brown to not get killed by the terrorists. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> so, good move, Marty. He's a good man. As Marty and his girlfriend prepare to go on their camping trip in Marty's shiny new 4x4, Doc screeches up in the DeLorean and exclaims that Marty has to accompany him back to the future because there's a problem with his future family. Marty tells him that the road isn't long enough to reach 88 miles an hour, but Doc explains to him that he's made improvements to the car. It's now running on garbage, courtesy of Mr. Fusion, and they don't need to worry about roads and traffic anymore. The car lifts off the ground, and they fly away. The end. Dot, 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 question mark. I was so happy when they made more of them. When I when they finally did it, it was like, what? It was like four years later, right? 1989. Yeah, it was a while, yeah. 19, and then and then the other one came out six months after the second one, and that was in 1990. I think it was May of 1990 for part three, and part two, I think, was November of 1989. Hmm. Wait. Part two was November of 89, and part three was 90, May? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you said it right. backwards. <laughs> oh, did confused. I? Oh, man. No, no. I. You said the third one first and the second one second. Yes, I did. I. I'm a tricky man, I'm sorry. No, I just was, like, dissociating for a minute, as <laughs> one does. I'm sorry, everyone out there, if I made you freak out. I got a little weird. And, sorry, I must uh, have... No, I mean, it probably I just, you know, went to another dimension. Oh. I mean, it is time travel right now. That's true. All right, so why did you choose Back to the Future? Back to the Future, well... That movie, there's a good story. When it came out, I remember seeing the ad in the newspaper. Because, don't forget, I'm ancient. So, <laughs> I saw the ad. I saw the logo. And I was like, what is this movie? 
And my parents were like, oh, I heard this is good. We're going to go see this Saturday night. And I was like, oh, boy. You know, I don't know what we're getting into. I had seen nothing. I just had seen this logo. And so I was like, all right, so here we go. And we got there. And I was knocked out <laughs> by this movie. This one, just from the very beginning, I was like, this guy is our guy. He does guitar. He skateboards. He time travels. Van Halen. Van Halen. Huey Lewis. Let's not forget <laughs> Huey Lewis. Oh, yeah. And Huey Lewis was your first concert. Yes. you were a big Huey Lewis booster. I was. I was a big fan. Huey Lewis in the news. And I, I still... We'll crank up Huey Lewis, the new Sports 4, and let's not forget Power of Love yes. from this movie. And then also Back in Time, which, now that I'm older, I think I might actually like better than Power oh, of wow. Love. I know. Strong statement. It's a very strong statement. But everything about this movie was just everything that I liked. I thought Michael J. Fox was cool. Christopher Lloyd, hilarious you know, and you have a movie where you have trouble in your life because you have these parents that are not in a happy relationship and you're able to actually fix that. You know, yeah. you come back after, you know, being in the past and you've made it so that your father has confidence. You have a happy family. Everyone's doing really well. You have a four by four. You have a four by four. I mean, that that was one of the, the things that people talked about is it's like, well, he made it so that they had more money when they came back. So that's not that cool of a message. And when I stop and think about it, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, the four by four is pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was Crispin Glover's complaint, I guess, right? That. I mean, we read this in the trivia somewhere that the reason he wasn't interested in coming back for the second movie is because he felt that the financial success um, that was gained through this event was kind of too much of a main point. Um, but at the same time, like, when you don't have any money, you fantasize about having money. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I think to some extent, I really, I actually had the same thought. I'm like, oh, it's kind of a bummer that they're so focused on finance. However... Mm -hmm. When you don't have it, you are focused on it. So I guess that's realistic. Well, and also the biggest thing for me is the relationship with the parents was so much stronger. Even if the, the money aspect was not there, the fact that the father had confidence, the mother was happy, they were happy being together. Yeah. Because when we first see the parents, they are not doing well. No, and you know, I guess that's... Again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in The Lost Boys a couple episodes back. Mm -hmm. That one of the big things, I think, for 80s kids that maybe wasn't as much of a an issue for previous generations is that a lot of 80s kids were dealing with divorced parents. So, you know, when you see these parents at the beginning who kind of have a contentious relationship and they're not happy and everybody's kind of miserable mm -hmm. and it kind of trickles down into the kids... So, yeah. at the end, when they're happy, they're happy together, the dad feels good about himself, he likes what he's doing, and it just has this happiness that kind of, you know, again, trickles down. So, the bad feelings trickle down, but then at the end, the happy feelings trickle down to the kids. And their successes, too. Well, the thing that I also liked is that the father became an author. You know, his first book is published 
when Marty comes back to the future in 1985. Yeah, and it's a science fiction mm -hmm. book, which is fun because it kind of ties into the whole science fiction aspect of the movie as a whole. Yeah, because when Marty came and he played the Eddie Van Halen to him <laughs> and he told him, you know, my name is Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. And unless you get Lorraine to go to the dance with you, I'm going to melt your brain. You know, <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. I mean, who had ever seen headphones and a Walkman used as a torture device before that? That was genius. Well, and he has like a hazmat suit on. Mm -hmm. So he looks like, you know, an alien. And that isn't the first time they mistake him for an alien. Because when he crash lands the DeLorean in 1955 at the Lone Pine... Yes. The pine tree farm gets knocked. He knocks one of the pine trees down. He gets out of the car and the kids like thinks he's from outer space. Yeah. He's mutating. He's mutating. <laughs> and then the farmer has a shotgun. Take that, you mutate some bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is great because, you know, science fiction was such a big thing in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Like 50s science fiction is like the seminal thing. You know, with aliens and spaceships and planet Mars and all this kind of stuff. John and I really like watching a lot of Rift Tracks and Mystery Science Theater 3000. And a lot of the movies that those guys riff, hilariously, every single time, are science fiction movies or horror movies from that kind of early 50s, 60s period. I mean, everything that I like... Like I said, you know, at the beginning. I mean, you had the sci-fi, you had the comedy, you had the romance, you had a super cool car. The DeLorean yes. is super, super cool. But Pepsi instead of Coke, how did you feel about this? Ooh, it's controversial. I mean, that was a betrayal. It's the Cola Wars. It, it was. <laughs> it was. And, I mean, I was a casualty. You still are. I am. I we am. all are. My teeth are. Oh, yes. So let me ask you this. Are you interested generally in time travel? Always. Yeah, really? Yes. This is something we've never talked about. Oh, wow, really? So I'm legitimately interested. I love time travel. Uh -huh. I used to read a series of books when I was younger called Time Machine. And they were very similar to the Choose Your Own Adventure books. But the Time Machine books were a little more YA, you know? Okay. And in these stories, you would travel back in time and you would have to make decisions to fix something in the past. You had a set mission. Okay. And there was a World War II one that was amazing. And I would do it over and over again. And Choose Your Own Adventure, Time Machine, um, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, this is an older thing that you would read a story, and at the bottom of the page, it would allow you to make a decision. It would say, you're at a tunnel. If you choose to go left, go to page 7. If you choose to go right, go to page 10. And it was like that with every single choice in the story. And you could move forward in the story... You could end up with a very quick ending because you could die. You could be shot forward in the time machine to a place that you didn't want to go. Mm. Um, it was amazing. So that for me is, yeah, that, that's a dream come true. I mean, this this gets to play it out. Yeah. You know, you get, to, you get to play the game here. And, well, at the same time, you just get to sit back and watch it. Yeah. Because I always want to know. I loved history. I'm a big history person. Yeah, I love history as well. And I want to see 
you know, I want to see these things up front, firsthand. What was it like? I'm a huge fan of music, and I would love to see all of my favorite performers throughout time. That would be... That would be awesome. The best experiment ever. And I would love to go forward in the future, take a peek at what's out there, you know? See, that's not me. I'm just not a big time travel person. Are you kidding? (laughs) Oh, wow. You know, I like a lot of things, but I think... That the problem that I have usually with time travel, and honestly, I think they did this pretty well here because I didn't get that confused, Mm -hmm. but I just feel like it's so, um, it's like a mire, like you just could really get mucked up with what you're doing with time travel. So it's like you have to first decide, are you going back in time to fulfill what's already happened or... Are you going back in time and you're creating a new branch with changes? There's also like the whole butterfly effect idea that like everything that you do changes things. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, Marty could have stepped out of the car and crushed a beetle and that beetle dying could like, you know, send a ripple through time that like destroys everything and there's a nuclear wasteland that he returns to in 1985. So I just feel like there's almost too many variables and it kind of freaks me out. So I know that's weird. Well, it is a delicate balance. I mean, what you talk about, yes, I have thought about that sometimes too. I guess there are two ways that I think about time travel. There's the fun way I think about time travel without consequence where you can just poke around and check it out. Then there's what you said which is you make a small change and it changes everything, which if you think about it, makes sense. And back to the future, we actually see what happens when you change the timeline. And it's very anxiety inducing. Maybe that goes, my my anxiety goes back to this movie. I'm not sure, but (laughs) I have like a lot of anxiety about time travel. I love the idea that Mm -hmm. you're talking about where you can just go back fiddle around do whatever and it doesn't really affect anything i guess like i just can't fathom that and where i start overthinking it that sounds like me like i make it cerebral instead of just gut feeling fun if i remember correctly in the choose your own adventure books and the time machine books one of the things that you did is you stayed low-key You kind of, you did your mission, and yes, you were changing time, but you weren't trying to draw attention to yourself. It wasn't something where it's like you went back in time so you could get a monument for yourself. Right. Well, and that's kind of what happens in this, too. Doc Brown tells Marty to stay low-key, not to mess around with anyone or anything. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. No, not at all. Because that's just not who Marty is. No. But it would have been, you know, that was kind of like Doc Brown's idea low profile yeah they just they wanted it to be i I mean well in this particular story what they wanted is they wanted marty to get back to the future and the situation with the parents marty just fell into it and because he fell into it and he fouled up the future they had to fix it well and that was his excitement about actually meeting his parents young or seeing his parents young was part of that right like he felt like hey I'm here, this is the time that this happened, I want to go check out my parents when they were younger. And I think there is like a, 
I don't know. I think that we all might have a little bit of a thing with that. I'm kind of wishing you could go back and be a fly on the wall when your parents were younger and see what they were really like, like before you existed. I mean, I, honestly, I've never thought about that. Oh, Truthfully, really? I have <laughs> never thought about that. So right now you took me by surprise. I'm like, hmm. That was the first thing like? I thought of when we watched it this time. I thought, gosh, it's really cool that he gets to go back in time and see what his parents were like. Wow, yeah. not I never thought about that. I mean, my thought had always been I had seen my parents in the present. I've lived a lot of time with them, so I know my parents. So if I was to time travel, I would be interested in seeing the things that I didn't know, the people I didn't know. I, in a way, I think what we're looking at here is like in Star Trek. Because in Star Trek, you know, they go to these other planets, and one of their directives is that they can't interfere with anything. Yeah. They need to leave it alone. And I think that is what I think about with time travel. It's like that same kind of set of rules. You just don't want to do anything that's going to cause any trouble. You, I mean, if you could, if you could know the things that you could do that could just make the world a more beautiful place... That would be great. But, you know, no one is uh, all-knowing, you know, yeah. so we don't have that information. Even when you go back, you have all this information that people at the time don't have, but you don't know everything. No. And you just really don't know where it's going to lead. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, again, I think they do a good job in this of saying, okay, this is like the new branch of time kind of a scenario. In fact, I think Doc Brown goes into detail about that in, like, the second movie. And for the most part, I felt like they kept things pretty locked down in Back to the Future, the first movie. Things get a little wobbly in, in Back to the Future 2. And I started feeling like I was falling into, like, the time travel interdimensional plot hole. Mm -hmm. But um, Back to the Future, the first movie, no issues. Well, Back to the Future, like you said, was, was meant to be a standalone film. Right. So I think everything was, was really structured on that. And then when they went ahead with the next two films, I, I bet they had to backtrack to find a way to actually make it all fit together. Well, when did you first see Back to the Future? It's such a good question. I've kind of been racking my brain, and I almost have no idea oh. whatsoever. Um, I don't remember seeing this in the theater, so I don't think I did. Um, 1985, I would have been seven years old, um, and we really didn't go to the movies that much when I was around that age. Um, it's possible that I saw this on, like, HBO or something. Wow, you did not see it at the theater. I don't think I did. I wow. remember seeing... You were robbed. <laughs> no. You I was were ro robbed. I was robbed a lot in the in the mid 80s i i barely saw any movies in the theater i mean there's movies that everyone saw in the 80s that i didn't see until like the early aughts what about when, batman did you see the tim burton batman in the i theater? believe i did see that all right but i didn't see indiana jones Oof. i didn't see et i saw indiana jones at my friend melissa's house when i was probably 20 or 21 okay um yeah, 21, when we were going to go to Disneyland, and we knew we were going to ride this Indiana Jones ride, and she's like, well, you have to see the movie. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> I didn't see that until I was like 21 years old, which would have been 1999. Oh man. Yeah, 1999. Um, I didn't see E.T. until you and I went for the re-release at the theater. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, so... <laughs> this is really heartbreaking for me. I mean, these are the ones that you thought about all the time. I mean, I had E.T. dolls. I had Indiana Jones dolls. No, we no. used to pretend we were running from the big boulder at the beginning. I saw the Star Wars movies. Yes. I saw Footloose. I did not, but I theater. wish I did. That's awesome. Yeah, that was the first movie that I actually remember seeing in the theater. Um, wow. I remember seeing... Um, well, I remember seeing The Empire Strikes Back, mm -hmm. but I don't actually remember watching the movie. I just remember leaving the movie. Oh, wow. And asking my mom if it was eight hours long. <laughs> but not in a bad way. I was really excited about it. I felt like I'd really like lived a whole life. While I was watching that, so it was good. But yeah, those are some of the few movies I did see in the theater. This I do not think is one of them. I remember seeing Back to the Future three mm -hmm. in the theater, um, but I do not believe I saw one or two at the theater. And I might have seen three before I even saw two. I don't know. Wow, that would have had a lot of weirdness. Three before <laughs> two. I know, I would have been like, why are they on horses? What is, <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. But I do remember that the first time I saw this, I loved it. Because it's like the things that you said earlier. In like 1985-ish, 1986-7, everybody loved Michael J. Fox. He was on, he was Alex P. Keaton on Family Ties, which everybody loved that show. And he was the coolest, fun, most fun character on the show as like the Republican kind of Ronald Reagan worshiping kid of hippies. It's funny. He was great. He was my hero. Michael J. Fox, I thought, was the best. Yeah, because you were like Mr. Preppy. Oh, I was. So you probably thought like his little suits and everything he was like wearing to school was like super cool. I loved it. He always had a plan. There was always something happening. Yeah. I liked Mallory, the sister, because she was, like, creative and stuff like this. I like Nick. Hey. <laughs> yeah, the boyfriend. Hey. But, you know, Alex P. Keaton was, like, big deal. Michael J. Fox was huge. Everybody loved him. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, like, it felt like a cool kids movie, you know? Like, I know there's more serious stuff going on in it, but whatever. It felt like a movie for teenagers. So even though I was, like, you know, seven, eight, or nine years old... I felt like I was cool because I was watching this movie. I'm sorry I don't have more detail of when I saw it first. I can't actually remember. But I'm I'm guessing probably on HBO. Who was your favorite character in Back to the Future? This is a tough one. It's like a choice I can't make, so I have to pick two. Okay. Um, George McFly is one of my favorites, and I think probably always has been. Crispin Glover is delightfully weird in this as George. I really like the character because he reminds me, in a way, of my mom. Um, my mom is a really smart person, but she can be really timid. And I really love to see the way that George goes from, you know, not really having a lot of confidence and faith in himself and working with Calvin Klein, which is what they think Marty's name is when he goes back in time. Well, that's the name on his underwear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, George comes to, like, a new confidence and kind of becomes, like, the hero of, like, the 1955 plot, in a way, you know. 
Um, so I really like him and he's got a lot of funny lines and again just the mannerisms and quirky weirdness of Glover is awesome. But I also would say this time especially uh, Doc Brown like kills it. Yes, and it's he does. Christopher Lloyd is amazing. And I've always liked Christopher Lloyd since I was a kid um, and watching the movie Clue. He's Professor Plum in that. So lascivious and horrific, but great. Um, but now that I'm older, I've seen Christopher Lloyd in a lot more things, particularly Taxi. Yes. Which is a show I never watched as a kid, but you and I watched it a couple years ago. And Christopher Lloyd uh, in Taxi as Jim, was ridiculous and unbelievably funny. And so I just have like a new Christopher Lloyd appreciation um, that I came back to this film with. And he's another just delightfully weird person, um, especially as Doc. You know, we talked in the lead up to this like last week about the show Rick and Morty, which we both like. And um, I always kind of watch Rick and Morty thinking that Rick is like a really kind of chaotic, evil version of Doc Brown. But Doc Brown is actually like super chaotic in a way that I don't think I remembered. Like he's just stealing plutonium at the beginning, getting into trouble, doesn't care. It's all in the service of science. And I really loved that. Um, this time. How about you? Who's your favorite? I'm like you. I I mean, I don't know who I don't like in this. I, I think that's <laughs> yeah. the way I want to go. I mean, right off the bat, Crispin Glover, yes. Yeah. Loved it. Loved everything about it. It shows you goobers can win. You know? <laughs> nerds. That's a, yes, nerds win. Leah Thompson, amazing. You know, and the fact that Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson played young and old yes and and biff too for that matter thomas f wilson powerhouse that guy is so good i had a new appreciation for biff this time same biff was so great in this and uh, even playing old biff yeah and it was so funny and so well done mm -hmm. and 1955 biff is really really good um, and then when he interacts with himself uh, later in Back to the Future 2, it was really interesting, too. Yeah, he's just, um, he's so strong. He's so strong. He is, again, and we've talked about this before, fantastic villain. Really propels the movie forward. You want to see George knock his block off. Yes. The whole time. You want to see George get his independence from this bully and then we get it, and we love it. You know, Christopher Lloyd, yes. Christopher Lloyd, Taxi. Before he was brought on as a regular as Jim, he was on for a guest star in some other role that kind of seemed like Jim, but it wasn't <laughs> actually Jim. But when he showed up on Taxi, he took over. Yeah. You know, he has this presence that is the size of a planet. Yeah, he's huge. But in a good way. Yes. Like there's actors that are really big, and it's kind of like, whoa, scale no. it back. 
Christopher Lloyd is on Mars and you just can't stop loving it. He's a maestro. I will say that. This guy has all the moves and he knows exactly what he's doing at every time. Yeah. He knows how to say the lines in such a way that will make you laugh every single time. Yeah. And he also, you're like going along for the adventure with him. You know, mm -hmm. he's like sweeps you up in it um, in a really fun kind of a way. And, yeah, I mean, he's great. I mean, we've seen him in so many other things now, too, like going back and um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. And Tabor, he was... I think. Yep, Tabor. Um, yeah, he, every time, he just, like, always is giving, like, 100% to the character. And it seems like he's going to go over the edge, but he never does. He's always, like, dancing on the edge. Yeah, he never lets you down. And then you see him in other films, like in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where he's just it's pure terrifying. evil. Yeah, he can be so scary. Honestly, don't even like that movie because he's too scary. I understand. I mean, <laughs> I, mean, I haven't seen it. That's one I did see in the theater, and I haven't seen it for years, but yeah. I saw that at home, and the first time I saw that and I saw him... I was freaked out because, you know, it's like, yeah, you see him as this very funny guy and a very talented guy. But then when he turns the screw and shows you this evil character, then you realize this guy could do anything. Yeah. yeah. Anything at any time. I actually wanted to go back for a second because I had this note and I missed it because I wrote it off to the side. Um, but I looked it up while I was watching this because I was curious. And Crispin Glover is actually three years younger than Michael J. Fox. <laughs> so he's playing the father of a person who's actually younger than him in real life. Um, and Michael J. Fox and Leah Thompson were basically born within maybe the same two-week time period. Wow. So they're exactly the same age. But I thought that both of them did such a good job playing these parent characters, even though they were young. Mm -hmm. um, and that also was wonderful for them to be young, to play like these high school kind of kids and still have it be kind of believable. Yeah. And I mean, well, and the other thing too, I didn't mention Michael J. Fox. I mean, that's the guy that, oh, yeah. you know, ties the whole room together, if you will. <laughs> you know, he's there. Yeah, this movie doesn't exist without him. No. Easily. He has this charisma. He has a fantastic timing. You know, he, in every single scene, you're glued to what this guy is doing. Yeah. I mean, he's like the quintessential teenager in 1985. Yeah, that's who you wanted to be. Yeah, you did. You wanted a skateboard, right? Yeah. He was cool and nerdy at the same time. Yeah. Like, he's kind of a dork, like, listening to music and just wanted to play his guitar really loud. And he's not, you know, he's good at playing guitar, but he kind of gets too wrapped up in it yeah. to be good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's likes comic books and he does, you know, he's just the kind of person that, you know, you are, but he's also cool at the same time. So somehow he manages to do both. And that's, you know, really appealing to a kid at that time. Very much. Very much. So what do you have as a favorite scene? I think I would have to go with the first scene when the first scene of Marty and Doc um, when they're in the mall parking lot and they're going back to the future because crazy stuff is happening. There's this machine 
Marty has no clue what's going on. Mm-hmm. Doc is just going nuts, like, oh, I got this, and I got this, and I got you know, I'm just like, what? What? And it's kind of like you are Marty in that moment, yeah. because you're learning this at the same time he is, and catching on to what's going on, and you're kind of like, it's middle of the night, you're mentally like swept off your feet with like this whole thing. And I just feel like there's a lot of um, suspense there, too, because you just meet this crazy character and everything's going on. And I think that it is a great scene. It's an amazing setup for the whole movie. Yeah. And I, I just, I really like that. Well, for me, I would say there, there are two scenes, I guess, that are my favorite. And the first is the actual opening of the film. Because the, the opening shot, when we're inside Doc's garage, we see everything that we're going to need to tell the entire story. Yes. We see so many clocks, right? We see the plutonium, right? We see the, the, the food for Einstein. Yeah. And Einstein, of course, is our first time traveler. Yes. Right? We see Marty come in and he plugs into this massive amp. You know, he puts on his sunglasses. So we know he's a cool guy, right? And, you know, he plays the guitar. And we also have the, uh, the, uh, the news footage. Yes. Yes, the news footage about the plutonium theft yes. and all this. And then also, I almost picked that scene too, just because you see all these inventions, like these Rube Goldberg device type inventions that Doc has made where like his toast makes itself and mm-hmm. the dog food goes into the bowl automatically and these kind of things. So all the inventions are there, which is a huge part of this as well. Yeah, well, and also there's a phone call right there at the beginning because Doc calls and Marty picks up the phone and he hears the clocks ringing. Yes. And he goes, it's eight o'clock. And he goes, oh, that's great. My experiment (laughs) worked. They're all exactly 25 minutes late. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Who would want to do that? Doc. Exactly. And so that... That's, I'd say, I, I love Again, that scene. the chaotic experimentation of Doc. And then what happens, I believe that when he goes, oh, I'm late for school, and he puts down the phone, I think we kick right into the Huey Lewis power of love, I if I'm not so, mistaken. I think so, yes. Yep. And so it's, I mean, it's perfect. That, that's just a, a wonderful opening. And he's going to school to try out for the band thing, right? Yes, where Huey Lewis tells is, him. Is the cameo as one of the judges. And says, what, he's too loud? You guys are just too darn loud. <laughs> yeah, Playing a power of love kind of a riff. It's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, again, Huey Lewis, my hero, Michael J. Fox, my hero, everything. I, mean, I loved movie. Huey Lewis in the 80s also. I thought that was just, like, the best music. I, it's so funny to me because when you go back and listen to it now, it's still amazing. But it doesn't seem like it would be that appealing to, like, you know, an eight-year-old. Yeah. But it super was. Oh, it was. It was, I, I yeah, I, I just couldn't stop playing it. But I, I know what yeah. you mean. It seems like, you know, now that we're middle-aged, it's like, you know, this would be like the hip band for the middle-aged crew. Yeah. You know, be like, 
seeing Huey Lewis tonight, and we're <laughs> picking up some uh, light spritzers. You Me- wanna... Meanwhile, you went to the show when you were how old? I was 10. It was 1987. It was April, kind of late in April. It was the four tour, which okay. was very cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was stoked to see them. Like, <laughs> they were hard tickets to get. I think we ended up behind the stage even. Oh, wow. Right? This is in Worcester. Yeah, Worcester, Mass, the Centrum, back when it was the Centrum, and the tickets were $15 each. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, went with both of my parents, and, you know, I have my concert scrapbook, Yeah. and I've got the tickets in there, so. Yeah, we'll have to put up a photo of that. Yeah, definitely. On social. Definitely. Good memories. But the other scene that I also really, really like is at the dance, when they're playing Earth Angel. And Marty, you know, is on guitar, and everything is going wrong. He looks at the photograph that shows him and his siblings, and they're gone, and now he's disappearing as well. So while he's playing Earth Angel, you know, on guitar in the band, he's just crumpling over. Yeah. And it looks like it's the end. Yeah. And on the floor, what happens is his dad, George McFly, walks up to this guy that has cut in on him dancing with Lorraine. Okay, George pulls the guy away and says, excuse me, goes into Lorraine. They kiss. It's awesome. And then Michael J. Fox just kind of springs back to life. You know, it's like one, two, three, and he's back and he's thrilled. And, and, you know, the music gets brighter and louder and... um. You know, everybody's back in the picture. Marty's smiling. He waves to them. He's on top of the he's world. He's finally made it after all the setbacks and problems. He's finally returned everything to where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And then he has this moment of triumph. And uh, the guys in the band are like, that's really good. Do you have anything else? <laughs> yeah. and, and then he breaks off Johnny Be Good. Which starts well. Yes, it does. But then the solo comes in and he just has to go Eddie Van Halen on it. And people are not ready. No, no one is ready for what he's laying down. And then what at the end, what does he say? He says, you know, I, this is one that was a popular in my time. And, uh, you know, maybe it's too soon for you guys, but... Your kids are going to love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good. And that's funny. That highlights one of the things I noticed this time. Is like, I've seen this movie a bunch of times now, but there's still a lot of suspense in it. Yes. Like, you know what's going to happen because you've seen it, but it's still suspenseful. Like, you still have this nervousness and anxiety. Like, oh my gosh, is everything going to be okay? And then right after that is when he and Doc are trying to get him back to the future. And it's just such a complex thing that has to happen he has to hit 88 miles an hour exactly at the time that he hits this wire exactly at the time that lightning strikes it yeah and that requires doc to have strung this wire up and everything to meet exactly the right spot which it does and you know it's going to happen it's going to be okay but the whole time you're still like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So well, they they keep it that you just don't know because I mean, you know the the plugs keep getting unplugged. Yeah. Doc has to slide down off the clock tower on the wire. Then he like smashes on the ground and he gets electrocuted because the current yeah. actually goes through him. Yeah. We also have the situation where Marty has given him a letter telling him that he's going to die when he goes back and then doc rips up the letter and marty's like oh my god i can't save him yeah and he's like stressing out so 
And then he immediately gets back right to that time and sees Doc go down again. Yeah. But then you find out that Doc had, like, um, stopped the bullets with some kind of a shielding vest thing or whatever. So it all turns out okay, but it still has, like, this dire feeling that anything could go wrong. And I think that's just a good screenwriting move to, like, insert all of this trouble so that something is always, like, preventing you from achieving your goal. Well, when we go to the dance, I mean, another very stressful scene is when Marty is taking his mother to the dance <laughs> and is waiting for his father to come and pull him out of the car and, you know, do this, this show of strength, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Marty gets pulled out of the car by Biff, gets beat up, gets thrown in somebody's trunk, and then we see George show up. And it is a terrifying scene yeah. with whatever is going on in the car with Biff and Lorraine. Like, that is like a moment yeah. where it's like, whoa, whoa. It's nerve-wracking. Oh, no. It's like, you know, you put your mother in this situation, too. Yeah. So that can't feel good. Um, but then that actually is great because it gives George a chance to really show up and do something that makes a huge difference. Not just his relationship with Lorraine, but also to him, his self-confidence internally that he realizes, you know, I can stand up for myself. I can stand up for Lorraine. And it's cool. It's a great scene. Well, it shows you that he is such a good person at heart. And he's so pure of heart that even though he has this fear and all of these things in his head saying he can't do it, he knows, you know, he needs to come up because it's the right thing to do. So he just goes ahead he balls up his fist and he just takes down, he yeah. just takes down Biff. And it is such a triumphant yeah. moment in the film. You just, and then you go from that, then you go to the dance with what we talked about and, and then Marty disappearing and coming back. Then we go to the clock tower. Wow. Yeah. This is a movie. They just load it up with like triumph at the end, which I'm sure is part of the reason we love this. Yes. You know? Um, so is there a favorite line that you have? Yeah, I, I'd say my favorite line is actually at the diner um, when Marty is there. And uh, <laughs> let me see, I wrote it down here. So the guy at the, the diner, his name is Lou. Do you want to play it out? Sure. You, you, who do you want to be? All right, I'll be Lou. Okay, here you go. You going to order something, kid? Uh, Yeah, give me, give me a tab. Tab? I can't give you a tab unless you order something. Right. Give me a Pepsi free. You want a Pepsi, pal? You're going to pay for it. <laughs> that line, you want a Pepsi, pal? <laughs> You're going to pay for it? It's great. Every time I laugh. I, I mean, there's just something about it. Like, Oh, it's funny because the guy, I mean, it's this culture clash of, you know, time travel. Like, he doesn't know what a Pepsi free is. No. I don't know what a Pepsi free is. I didn't. I don't we, remember a Pepsi free either. It's a sugar free, I guess, drink. It, they we see it in the film, you know, in Marty's bedroom. We actually see a can of it, or maybe a two liter, but I think a can. But I have zero memory of this drink, and you know, I have had soda my whole life. I mean, as we know, I'm more of a Coca Cola kid. But, you know, there was Pepsi in my life as well. But we weren't drinking diet soda when we were, like, little kids. No. Well, no. I mean, I did. Tab. 
I never did tab. It was horrendous tasting. <laughs> I'm glad I missed it. Oh my god almighty, it was awful. I liked how it was pink, and then it had white lettering. I thought that was It was a was cool neat. can, yes, yeah. but it tasted like poo. And, I mean, it was like saccharin sweetened, so it really had like that chemical-y taste. Ew. And then Diet Dr. Pepper came out in a really bad form in the 80s. Oh, yeah? In like a silver can with blue writing on it, I think. Wow. And I hated it. And then Diet Coke came out, and Diet Coke actually didn't taste like butt, so everybody really liked it at first. What was real butt was a new Coke. Oh, that gosh. was butt, 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 super butt. butt. Yeah, super butt. Well, and it worked out for them because then they re- they brought back Coke Classic and everyone was like buying that up. Yeah, because that was the real thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it was funny because the new Coke was an attempt to like reverse engineer Coke to make it more the way that they make Pepsi. Oh, yeah? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of reading you can do about this that's pretty interesting. I gotta check that out. I mean, if you care about soda. Why not? I mean, Soda history. Well, we know this stuff, and like knowing the the background on it, I find it fascinating. Because I I never really understood why they would want to go ahead and do a new flavor of Coke. When everyone universally loved the taste. I mean, I guess the whole point where what I believe I have read is... That Pepsi was kind of gaining popularity. Okay. So Coke was starting to slip. Okay. I mean, they were still number one, but Pepsi was gaining on them. So the reason they had all these taste tests and people were like, we like this better on Pepsi. And it was because of the way that they made it. And they said, well, we'll try making Coke that way. Hmm. So they did it. And then that's what new Coke was. And they thought it was going to be awesome. It was terrible things went bad it was very bad and immediately pretty much they reissued coke classic there's also theories that they did new coke as like an experiment to like make everybody hate it so that when they brought back the original formula that people would like flock back to it which is what happened no that's but i don't know if they really did that or not i don't i mean the only thing i have in my head right now as we talk about it is some billy joel we didn't start the fire. Yeah, rock, rock and, and roller, roller cola wars. wars. I can't take it anymore. Yes. 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 I mean, that's really, that's 20th century problems right there. Cola wars. Yeah. So, I mean, well, what do you have for a favorite line? I mean, I could go with some George McFly classics. Like, he's trying to say, I'm your destiny to Lorraine. And he says, I'm your density. <laughs> Yeah. And I also love it when he's like trying to get all psyched up and he goes into the diner and he says to Lou, Lou, give me a milk, chocolate. And like <laughs> before he says chocolate, he like slams his money down on the counter like he's being all tough. But it's ridiculous and I love it. Um, so that's my George McFly favorite. But this time I laughed so hard at the beginning. When uh, Doc is first introducing the DeLorean mm-hmm. to Marty, and he's like so psyched about what he's doing, and he just says to him, If my calculations are right, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I actually laughed out loud yeah. at that one this time. And that's when I realized Doc is, like, super chaotic, way more than I remembered. He's the best. I just thought of him as this nice old scientist. Uh, no. <laughs> Doc is here to cause trouble. Well, did you have any, like, feelings towards the DeLorean, you know, when you were younger? No, like... I didn't know anything about it. I mean, honestly, the only, like, DeLorean thing I knew was that it was in Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. I don't even think I knew it was, like, a real car. Okay. I just associated it with Back to the Future, which makes sense. I mean, it's super iconic now yeah. as the Back to the Future car. But, I, I mean, I thought it was amazing and cool, but I didn't actually realize... That it existed outside of Back to the Future. I, I get it. I mean, for me, I loved like that gunmetal exterior. I liked that it looked different. I loved the gullwing doors. Oh my gosh, the gullwing doors were unapologetically cool. Yeah, they were great. And the history of DeLorean, I mean, that's like, I, I mean, I don't even know when I found out about that. It wasn't for many years later. You know, that it was, you know, the story about a guy trying to get his car going. And I think there was like a drug deal and some money and, I don't know, bankruptcy and then police. I mean, that's a real jumble. But Yeah, I think I, that there's a documentary on that, right? Is I want to watch that if there is. I because like I want to get is. straight on that. We got to check it out. Yeah, I mean, well, I will say this, though. I actually saw a DeLorean at the supermarket. That's cool. And I was just like, I was like, I was hoping nobody would come out because I just really wanted to peek in there. Like, I was just peeking in the windows and getting really close. I mean, I didn't do anything you crazy. You thought the flux capacitor was going to be in there? I was really hoping. Like, I didn't want to, I didn't do anything crazy, like try to open the door because, you know, I'm not like well, a we've criminal. Seen but... the, we've seen the movie car on display somewhere, right? Yeah, we did. We saw it out here. I think we saw it at the Peterson. Peterson. Yeah, yeah, Peterson Museum. We got some good pics from that, too. Yeah, and we like saw the flux capacitor. Yes, of course. I mean, that's so good. We must have pictures of this. If we do, you'll you'll see them posted on our socials sometime this week. Oh, yeah. Definitely we'll put that up. Yeah. Definitely. In addition to which, we actually noticed this time because, I mean, I don't know if we had seen this before, um, but I don't remember it. But we saw at the beginning of the movie when Marty is leaving Doc's garage... He, like, goes out into the street and passes a Burger King. And then the background of that is this restaurant called Lancer's, which is a diner in Burbank that we literally had breakfast at last Saturday. Yeah. I had the Paul Bunyan omelet. That's your favorite. Sure is. Sure Big is. Big enough for a blue ox. Yeah. And they give you, like, the, the blueberries for, uh... Oh, the pancakes, yeah. Right. Right. I what had toast. It? I had the gourmet omelet. Maybe that's what it's called. Is it called the gourmet omelet? The special gourmet omelet. Wow, that's, I mean, I thought mine sounded good. But oh, man. no. Paul Bunyan does sound better. Five eggs. Oh, my gosh. You're a serious contender. You always have Paul leftovers Bunyan. for that, though. Oh, I did. I mean, I ate that over the course of like a day and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Less of a one meal than like more of like a two-day affair. Right. Right? Make the most of it. Good price, too. Yeah, Lancers is awesome. Yeah. I can't really imagine, you know, when I when one of us did see this movie in the early 80s that we would ever have been watching it so many years later 
and seeing a restaurant that we go to, you know, semi-frequently. Yeah. Well, and then we also saw Hill Valley. Yes. At uh, Universal Studios. Yeah. We saw, we've seen Hill Valley. We And then um, Puente Hills Mall is where the Twin Pine Mall is, or the Lone Pine Mall, as it becomes. Um, and one of my coworkers uh, lived out near there, and he's a huge Back to the Future fan. Mm-hmm. Um, he dressed as Marty from Back to the Future 2 for our work Halloween party one year. And it was very clever because he just had a pair of jeans tucked into his jeans in the front okay. with, like, uh, just skateboard, hoverboard attached to the bottom of the jeans. Now that's smart. So that it was just swinging so oh, that wow. it looked like he was on the hoverboard. I wanted a hoverboard. It was super cool. That's Back to the Future 2. I Sorry. know. But still want it. I yeah, still hoverboards are cool. That's the coolest part of probably Back to the Future 2. Which maybe we'll talk about in the future. The future. Do, do, do. So did you have, well, let's talk about the music in this. We did touch on that a little bit already, but I just, yeah, I mean, re- to reiterate, Huey Lewis, king of the 80s. Absolutely. Power of love, monster song. Yeah, I mean, that Back was... in time? How is it even that good? It's... I mean, it's like he was just absolutely touched by genius beyond genius for this. And, I mean, all the other songs I know, too. Yeah. I mean, I always would listen to the overture. That was so exciting for me. The score, yeah. The score of the movie is great. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we had um, Eric Clapton did Heaven is One Step Away. Then we had Lindsey Buckingham did Time Bomb Town. I don't even know these songs. Okay. Then they did Roll With Me, Henry, which I love. Love Wallflower, right? And they also had Earth Angel. Yes, great song. You know, and... We both were kind of 50s people, too. You and me both. Yeah. And this was kind of a general thing in the 80s. There was, like, a huge 50s nostalgia. Um, I don't know why, but I think it's because we were in a very conservative time in the 80s, and we were looking back on the 50s as... A similar conservative time in the past. Yeah. Um, that everybody felt good about. Um, but I remember, like, when I was in elementary school, there was, like, a year where we were wearing poodle skirts. Yeah. And saddle shoes and learning to do the twist. Oh, wow. And the bop and things like this. That's super cool. Yes. And, the you know, we always loved the cars of, oh, like, I the 50s the era and stuff. Yeah. So I think that, you know, that's an interesting thing that this movie captures, too, Well, that it, 50s nostalgia. It sure does. I mean, what I used to do, again, I'm super, super old. What I used to do is I had my cassette of the Back to the Future soundtrack. I was literally going to ask you if you had the cassette of yes. Back to the Future soundtrack. I'm going to go a step further, make it even more 80s. And what I would do is I would play the Nintendo game Back to the Future... And I would turn down the volume on the video game, and I would just listen to the cassette. That's phenomenal. And I would just, like, fly through it. I was so good at this game, because I loved it so much. And this was, like, the closest I got to be to a time traveler. That's cool. I loved it. Yeah, well, I think we had also talked about, there's a, I don't know if there still is, but when I went to Universal Studios Florida in the 90s, there was, like, a Back to the Future ride. 
that was kind of like one of these. It was actually the earliest one that I've ever ridden of one of those rides where you're like sitting in a vehicle that just kind of moves around while you're watching a TV screen. I think that's called a motion ride. Okay, I have no idea. I'm not sure, but I think that's what it's called. It's called a Georgia Gets Motion Sick ride. <laughs> um, that's every ride. But that was that was like one of the first times I saw a ride like that. And it was really awesome because you got into the DeLorean. Oh, wow. And Doc was going to take you back to the future. Oh. And you like flew off like they do at the end of the movie. Oh, that's so awesome. It was business. I wish I did that. I wish you did too. Oh, Maybe man. you can look up online and see... You know, you won't obviously be in the DeLorean, but yeah. you could maybe see what the ride looks like. We should just get a DeLorean, <laughs> you know? I think I know someone that did get okay. a DeLorean. I'm not 100% sure. I've seen a picture of him with the DeLorean. It's another former co-worker who adored this movie when my co-worker, Justin, dressed up as this um, Marty from Back to the Future 2. This other co-worker was so excited and thrilled. And either he had a DeLorean or he got to drive one as part of, like, his Back to the Future experience or something. Well, if somebody has one, give them a call. <laughs> you know, let's meet up. Yeah, you know? I'm in. I would love that. I would love that. I mean, did you feel any differently about this movie this time around? Beyond the things I've already said, I don't really think so. I mean, I still have the same kind of nostalgic feelings about it. I... You know, I would say, you know, again, I noticed the doc was more chaotic than I remembered. I noticed, like, the idea of seeing your parents young and getting to meet your parents. And I thought about, like, the interesting thing about this movie being that, you know, you have time travel invented, right? Which is this huge thing. Mm -hmm. Massive. People have been talking about it for years. And when people talk about time travel, you talk about doing something crazy with it. Going back to kill Hitler being yeah. like one of the major things I always hear reference. In this movie, you have the invention of time travel, and Doc is really excited about using it to go back and observe or to go to the future and see how things have changed. But what ends up being done here is that it's used for like a really personal reason, mm -hmm. not some kind of world changing, earth shaking reason. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Um, I did also realize how amazing the writing in this movie is. And I Perfect. think it's something we haven't really talked about a lot here. I mean, we talked about why we like movies and what makes movies good. But we haven't, and writing is obviously one of those things, but we haven't really ever touched on that. Um, and in this, watching it this time, I just felt like it was so evident how perfectly written this movie is. There's foreshadowing, like you said in the early scene. Yep. They pretty much set up everything you're going to deal with the whole time. And there's just a lot of foreshadowing and a lot of, like, callbacks throughout the movie that really makes it feel perfectly structured in a way that just makes you comfortable watching it. Like, you're being shepherded through the story at all times. And the suspense is set up perfectly, and it's just really well done. It's it's well crafted. Yeah, you know exactly where you're headed, but at the same time, they'll throw you for some curves. Yeah. Things may not go exactly the way that you thought they were going to go. Yeah. And, I mean, I believe you told me that this was used um, as, as a training tool 
for, uh, was it USC? Yeah, I believe so. Wow. And I mean, I can see where it comes from. I can see where it comes from because it's all there. And the movie flies. That That's always a really good indicator, for me at least, of how good the movie is. Um, when we go and we watch it, do I, you know, start looking around? Do I get bored? Do you check your watch? Exactly. You check the clock? No. Not, not once. I mean, occasionally we'll look at it just for... Plot uh, points. Yeah, just to see, like, when did they introduce this? Whatever. Yeah. And we were constantly, or consistently, rather, surprised. Like, oh my gosh, it's that long? We're already that far? Yeah. Because it just doesn't feel like it. No, it's, it's a great, great film. And I love the fact that it has stood the test of time. And I think when we watch it again and again, and 30 years later, we'll still feel the same way about it. Yeah. I yeah, love it. I agree. I think we will, too. I mean, and we could just probably, it's hard because so many things have been said about this movie. Mm -hmm. So many things are going to continue to be said about it. Um, and is there anything new to say? I'm not even sure. No, you know, I don't. Apart from just that we appreciate it. Yeah, we love it. I, I and yeah, I, I don't, I wish that I had like some new burning insight that I could <laughs> deliver. But the truth is I don't have it. So I mean, you could probably do like a, a master thesis on connections between this movie and like the rick and morty tv series which we both love that would be wonderful um, but i don't think i need to get into that too much we're a movie podcast not a tv podcast but yeah if you are a fan of of adult animation and you're a fan of um back to the future watching rick and morty with the thought of doc and marty in your head can be really fun yeah i think that's i mean i would say that's the new thing this time around is I did think about Rick and Morty. Yeah, I did too. And I noticed that it was more similar than I thought. Because um, Rick tends to be super dark um, in a way that Christopher Lloyd's Doc Brown is not. I mean, again, still super chaotic, but not so dark. Um, Rick and Morty can go pretty dark sometimes. This is very much the opposite of that. It's super bright and light even when serious things are happening it's very positive and i love the positivity of this movie i do too and one thing that i had i don't know if i was projecting it but there were times that i really thought that morty really looked like michael j fox and sound and yeah and sounded like yeah him. i really heard the sound yeah the voices are similar in a lot of ways yeah yeah it was interesting so what food describes this film? And that is a great question. And I think that what I would go with this time um, is a chocolate shake. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Really? Honest to God. A chocolate shake? You a chocolate like shake? Chocolate. You got me into chocolate oh, shakes. Yeah. You did. You did. That's really funny. I mean, I, I was thinking diner, generally speaking. Yep. And I thought about chocolate milk almost because, you know, we got give me a milk chocolate, mm -hmm. which is a great line. But I went with the shake because it has, like, that soda fountain feel, uh, the 50s thing. And a chocolate shake is kind of perfect. Yeah. It tastes perfect. I mean, you get a smooth, nice chocolate shake. Mm. It's delicious. And it just makes you kind of have that happy feeling. You know, it goes down easy. Like a frosted glass. You know, they always have oh, yeah. those beautiful glasses. The, the clear kind of tall glasses with the yes. base on them yeah and the straw and maybe some whipped cream on it mm. 
Let's go make that right now. Oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> that sounds so good. Well, that's good. I guess we really nailed it, though, with the food, because we had the same thought. Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. Well, um, I guess we're going to go ahead and wrap up now. It's been a nice discussion about a really great movie. And uh, I think we came up with some interesting points and interesting thoughts that we had about it. And that was really fun. And it's always fun to talk about this movie. Always. And fun to watch it again. And So uh, next week, we're going to be discussing another phenomenally well-written classic yeah. of the 80s, Ghostbusters. Another great one. Next Friday, there's going to be another kind of Ghostbusters reboot, sequel, whatever we want to call it. Ghostbusters Afterlife is coming out. And I'm kind of interested in watching that movie. Me I too. think it looks intriguing mm -hmm. and fun. Um, and Ghostbusters is such a favorite of both of ours. Yeah. Um, that I really can't wait to watch that again. I'm always ready to watch that again and talk about it with you. Another next perfect time. script. Another yeah, perfect it is. script. It's perfect. The acting, the everything. Just, well, that's for next week. Yes. I can't wait to talk Gotta about it. Gotta save it up. <laughs> Don't want to blow it all this week <laughs> all right yeah. folks well as always thank you so much for listening we hope you had as good of a time as we did um a happy weekend and we will see you next friday to talk ghostbusters we'll see you then stay comfy stay comfy